No information involved in this podcast constitutes advice. We make no representations and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments. Hi, mate. You're right. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, a mixture of reasons, tech and uh, illness, pure man flu, um, have, have led to some delays. But we are back with the second edition, uh, by popular demand, if you like, of the uh, Not Another Mortgage podcast. Uh, today, discussing National Hunter, the secret system you don't know about. Which sounds really exciting, doesn't it? But yeah, it probably indeed. Isn't. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, it's, the secret system you don't it's, know no, about. It's obviously kind of exciting, point. but it is useful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us, just give us an overview, Lewis. What what is it all about? So, National Hunter uh, was it's an independent kind of not for profit company. Uh, it, it's based in Stoke, and no one, as I say, no one really knows about it. And it's there to prevent uh, fraud uh, within the banking, finance industry, uh, and insurance industry, and also to protect victims of fraud. Um, it was founded in 1993 by six initial members, the six banks, business societies, but it's grown now. Uh, pretty, pretty, it's a pretty big uh, business. And I say business, uh, it's operated by Experian. Um, and whilst the office is is in Stoke, actually nothing actually goes there. It's just a little building. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a phone number, it has a PO box. You can't ring and ask what information you hold. You can get what's called a subject access request to get your information from them. But primarily, it's a system that sits in the background and collects a lot of information. Now, it's not a credit reference agency. So credit reference agencies are systems. That there's three main ones. There's Experian, which most people have heard of. There's Equifax, again, which most people have heard of. And then there's a third one called Call Credit, which is now known as TransUnion. There is a fourth one called Credit, but the, the, the main three are Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, formerly Call Credit. And they hold lots of different information about you, your address history, whether you're on the electoral roll or not, and when you joined, your 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 credit profile for the last six years. Uh, so, what credit agreements you have in your name? So, credit cards, even now mobile phones. You, you you probably know that if you get a mobile phone these days, it's split into almost a loan for the phone, and then a and then a contract for the actual um, for the actual minutes and texts, etc. And even those are now registered on your credit profile. So, everything from credit cards, phones, all the way down to mortgages. It also, credit reference agencies also contain information about uh, bad credit. So things like CCJs, they'll contain court information about CCJs, about bankruptcies and insolvencies such as involuntary arrangements, IVAs, debt relief orders, debt management plans, all that kind of stuff. They hold tons and tons of data and they use all that data to generate a picture of you as a person and whether you're a good bet for that particular lender if you want a mortgage. And there's lots of factors that, that play into it. Now, people sometimes kind of get hung up on, on credit scores, et cetera. And whilst they are important, that most lenders are more bothered about your conduct. But the second aspect, which Hunter, National Hunter, is bothered about, is not to do with your credit worthiness. It's to do with almost your honesty and integrity. So National Hunter is there. And so what happens? So, for example, what would National Hunter pick up? So here's a common one. If people make, for example, an application for a credit card, because they want to do credit card, and they say, right, I'm employed as an IT technician or an IT manager, and I'm 35 years old, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. And so they're making up potentially, they, may be, they might be making up the job role, they might be self-employed, but they're saying they're employed. 
They might be saying that they're on £35,000 when they're on £25,000 because they think that's going to give them the credit card that they require. Now, the issue with that is that all that information, whether it's for a mortgage, whether it's for a credit card, a car lease, applying for insurance, a lot of that information ends up on what's called National Hunter, which is a big database, a very sophisticated system that is shared between all those people that are part of National Hunter, which is all the main banks, all the main finance partners, credit card agencies, et cetera. And so if you make a, an application that's um, that's not entirely true, when you come to make a further application for a, for a piece of credit, whether that be a car loan, of course, that car loan is then, that, that's gone on there. Um, and let's say you then go for a mortgage. Now, if you've said, I'm an employed IT manager earning, earning £35,000 and I don't have any children, or, or I have two children, for example, and then you go to make a mortgage application, you say, I'm a self-employed painter and decorator, and I earn £21,000, and I don't have any children, so you're perhaps hiding children. That information, all that all that total information is held in the background, and when there's enough discrepancies, that will then trigger an alert to go, whoa, hang on a minute, there's, there's, too, there's too many discrepancies here. So we now need to do a bit of either, A, a bit more due diligence, which is true, what's false, and if a person has fraudulently obtained credit previously, that can, not always, but can result in an automatic decline by a mortgage lender if there's enough red flags in the background. The problem being is that, of course, it's very difficult to find out what information Hunter holds about you, but it's also notoriously difficult to change it. And that's one of the reasons why when it comes to making a mortgage application, well, any credit application for that matter, you must, these days, you must be absolutely honest on and, and, and every application that you uh, want to make, whether that be for credit to, because you want to buy an engagement ring for your girlfriend or boyfriend, um, whether that may be you want a new car and then, then you're going to get the, the credit via the, the garage that you buy the car from, whether it's a credit card, whether it's a mortgage. It's imperative, be honest, because... I've seen over the last six years or so of doing this job, I've seen a number of applications for mortgages where, they, where I've sat down, spoken to the person, and said, okay, well, let's get your information in, uh, get all your documentation in, all stacks up, everything's fine, let's run the agreement in principle, decline. Okay, well, that's odd. So then what would be, what would do, it would be, well, back in the day, would say, right, well, get me a copy of your credit file. We'll have a look if there's any adverse information on there that's either you didn't know about or you've not disclosed. Um, because you, you, you either you didn't know about it or you, you tried to hide it. And then on a few occasions where they've come back with a credit report and I've gone, well, there's nothing here whatsoever. There's, there's, no, there's no real reason as to why this would have been declined. Um, and then you, you potentially, you know, I would ring the lender and say, look, I've got this customer. There's nothing on the credit report all the documentation stacks up. I've done my due diligence and it's being declined and I'm unsure why. And you may get an answer like, unfortunately, we're just unable to help this customer. At that point, that's the kind of red light to say, right, you've done something in the past. You've lied somewhere in the past. Something, Some information is held about you somewhere that's triggering a decline. That is almost invariably on National Hunter. Interesting stuff. So I'd never heard of National Hunter. Now, it's clear they've certainly heard of me. Um, so we've talked there about who, what and why uh, regarding National Hunter and, and the system uh, that we didn't know about. So now let's talk about what people can do to change that then, because this is we're talking here about people who are going to be refused 
credit um, for whatever reason. What are the best ways to improve their credit score, their credit profile to, to try and change that? Or is it too little too late? Uh, no, it's not. It's not necessarily too late. No, it's not too late. Now, there's a couple of things to mention here. If if adverse information or, or kind of um, that you've been a victim of fraud uh, or are trying to commit fraud, that will be ordinarily held at Hunter. And the only way you can find out if that is the case is by doing what's called a subject access request for National Hunter. Uh, the details of which you can actually find on their website. If you just Google National Hunter, you will find them and you can request the, the information that they hold about you because it could be that it's incorrect. Now, for most people in terms of that aren't on National Hunter because they've they've not made any kind of boo-boos, they've not lied and, and that uh, it's just a case of they're wanting to make sure that they, when they approach a lender for a mortgage that they get accepted or whether it be a credit card or a loan, whatever else it might be. Um, there are a number of things you can do to improve your credit score. Now, that said, it's never a quick process. Um, so the best thing to do is one, make sure that you're on the electoral roll. That's a big thing because any credit institution wants to know where you are. They want to know who you are and where you are. So getting on the electoral roll is, is vitally important. Um, after that, it's a case of making sure you stay out of overdrafts. That's a big thing. Staying out of overdrafts is a, is a good thing. Uh, make sure you pay everything on time. I know that seems really, really obvious, but just the odd, the odd missed or late payment on a credit card, the odd missed or late payment on a next directory. If you're wanting to make a mortgage application, those things can play into the mix if you're on the boundary of, of a pass or a, or a, or a fail. Um, so it is to, to make sure that you pay everything on time. Um, close any accounts that you don't use. Now, that's a tricky one because often when you want to close an account, you have to have quite a lot of information when you're talking to a bank or a billing society or a credit card company. They tend to want a lot of information in order to actually close an account. It's not as straightforward as perhaps we think it should be but they have to make sure that you are who you say you are, of course. Um, so close any dormant accounts. Now, you'll tend to only know what the dormant accounts are by actually getting your credit report. Um, what else is there? Um, a good idea is to, in order to be able to prove that you can manage credit, you need to have credit. So often, something that uh, we come across as mortgage advisors, and not just me, but my colleagues that I, I work around and with, is I don't have any credit and I'm worried about getting a mortgage. Now, that won't necessarily be a bar as long as you don't have adverse credit. That said, of course, if there is no credit at all, then it can be very difficult for a lender to make a decision because they don't have any evidence to see whether you can or can't pay back the money that you're wanting to borrow. So it can be a good idea to have small amounts of credit and maintain them adequately. Uh, typically there's kind of TV journalists that talk about getting a credit card and paying that off month to month. Now, is that a good idea? Yes. If you're going to do that regularly, you can manage credit and you're not going to get into trouble by using a credit card. It's a great idea. Um, and it does show that you can manage credit effectively um, and that you're then therefore going to be a good bet for a mortgage. That said, it's not appropriate for everyone. Because, of course, you've got to make sure that you can maintain the discipline to not live beyond your means because you have available credit. Um, another thing is, and I know this is not always easy, especially when um, a lot of people, when they're renting, they can be 
told that they've got to leave the property by the landlord because he's selling up or he wants to put the rent up and then it's become too expensive. But maintaining a steady address history has a significant impact on credit scores. If you've had you know, 12 addresses in six years because you've had to move every six months, that's not going to be great uh, because it's going to be difficult for most financial institutions to track where you are, for electoral rolls to be updated accurately, for, for your all your documentation, your bank accounts to be maintained accordingly as they should have been when, when you move address. So maintaining a steady address history is, is really important. But I realise, of course, that's not always as easy as it uh, as it once was because, you know, uh, if you're renting, you don't have that much control over how long you might be staying in that property, for example. So the, the, the main ones are pay everything on time, get on the electoral roll, manage your credit appropriately um, and stay put for a period of time. <laughs> Hopefully that will help. Absolutely. Uh, one question that, that springs to mind whilst uh, listening to you there, Lewis, um, you talked about paying things off on time um, can help, which which obviously does make sense. What about paying something back early? So, for example, uh, if you took out a loan um, and it was over, say, five years and after four years, you, you said to the bank, actually, I've I've got what's left of this uh, the, the year. I've got it in, in the bank. I'm going to pay it off in one big go. Does that improve your credit rating? Does it have any bearing or, or does it potentially have an adverse effect? It will have, it will have some impact. It's, it, it, sh- shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be bad for you. It should be either neutral or positive because, of course, there's nothing wrong with paying off things early. Now, now that said, if you were taking out £10,000 loans one, one a month and then repaying them you know three months later that would indicate an odd pattern of behavior so that wouldn't necessarily be a good idea um, i mean i've even had it where for example bless him a, a young chap so a while back now came to see me i had got uh, a, a smallish deposit because of course most young people do it's difficult to save and bless him it, it, it'd see in this idea of getting credits so that you can get a mortgage and he'd gone and got a almost a payday loan in order to, to prove that it's so he borrowed this money, it was about six, seven, eight hundred pounds, and was paying it back at 35, 40 pounds a month, even though the interest rate was wasn't typically terribly high because he had got good credit. He'd gone and taken out a payday loan, and that absolutely uh blackballed him uh for getting a mortgage. Because I said, unfortunately, a payday loan is one element of credit that lenders absolutely detest. And that's because it's typically, and in this this chap's uh, case, it wasn't this, but it's typically a sign of financial distress because if you need to borrow what tends to be a relatively small amount of money over a short period of time, it indicates that you can't manage money particularly well. And whilst that wasn't the case for him, unfortunately, with automated systems abounding in the mortgage market, once he's done that, once he's taken that, he we can't reverse it. We can't go back. I just said, look, you need to pay it off. You're going to have to wait at least six months before we can do anything else for you. You know, you know, and and bless him, it it it, it just tried to take on the information that he'd seen uh, on TV by you know I think a well-known journalist on TV that talks about financial matters uh, misunderstood it sadly and it then meant that he couldn't buy the home that he, he desperately wanted to buy and he'd even made an offer everything was ready to go good to go I did a, a, an agreement in principle uh, it declined and then I, then when I said look I'm going to need your credit report to find out why it's declined it was because there's a payday loan there and unfortunately at that point in time there's very little we can do about it so paying off things will never be bad 
Um, but uh, yeah, it, it just depends, you know, the volume and time frame within which it's done. The reason I ask basically um, is um, I've noticed in the past, if you do take out a loan or even, even a phone contract, using your example earlier with a phone contract, if you pay it off early, there's normally a financial penalty, which would suggest that you've done something that the lender isn't happy with. Um, and, and it's therefore seen as a negative, um, which is why I asked the question, you know, is, is paying it off early bad for your credit rating? And it begs the question, um, if you're saying it will either have a neutral or positive impact on your credit score, why are people penalized by banks and phone providers and so on if they say, I'm going to pay off the rest of this contract early? Sure. So, so it's because... Um... When you apply for credit, whether that be a mortgage or, I mean, I don't know about the redemption penalties or costs of, of paying back personal loans early, but for example, with a mortgage, there tends to be what are called early redemption charges or early, early redemption penalties. They tend to be a percentage of the balance of the mortgage at that time. And the reason that you're, it's not so much that I suppose, you, you know, from a consumer point of view, you feel as though you're being penalised, although this is set out at the outset in the terms and conditions of the loan. They can't spring it on you. They can't, they can't say, oh, there are no penalties, and then at the end go, oh, actually, there are. It is, it is disclosed at the, uh, at the start. And it's because when, uh, when, a, when a lending institution makes the decision to lend, they do that on a, on a, on a basis of, of kind of risk metrics. What interest rate are we going to charge to this customer on this deal? What profit do we stand to make? Uh, and therefore, is the risk uh, against the, the the benefit to us appropriate? And effectively, if you're clearing off that debt early, then that particular credit institution is losing interest that would be generated on the loan that you've taken out. And therefore, to make the profit margins, basically, they have to recoup that because, of course, the risk has maintained the same. So just because you are able to repay that, they have got they have got costs that were born and that were that were factored in to the debt that you took out that you would have it for this amount of time, and therefore they have to still recoup that cost because of the risk um, that that particular debt uh, posed basically. So to clarify, um, because you say they have to recoup that loss, is it? And I, I appreciate it might change case to case, but as a rule of thumb, would it be this, the case? that you don't save any money because the bank will say, okay, it's paying it off a year early. The amount of interest and profit we would have made in that year is, let's just pull a figure out of the air and say £500. So we're going to charge him the exact same amount. Or is there a saving to be made? And they'll say, okay, we're going to we're going to charge you £250 to recoup some of that loss. But then the bank is still making the profit and the, the person that's repaying that money back early is saving something. Or, or do you not do you not save anything, or does it change on a case to case basis? It, to be honest, it changes on a case to case basis. They don't actively sit down and go, "We we are we're we're losing five thousand pounds in interest, and therefore we're going to charge you five thousand. That doesn't happen. I mean, to be to be fair with mortgages, it's more because they they need to be able to have some way of knowing who's going to be on their books for for a period of time. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, even mobile phone providers, if you try to leave a contract, it's because, I mean, you've signed into a contract. Let's not forget this. This is, you, you've agreed to a contract. I would like to borrow X amount of money over this amount of time, and I'll repay it over this period according to these terms. That's the, that's the contract. Okay, so the person with the money goes, okay, that's fine. There you go. There's the money, and you go, thanks very much. There's the money. There's my signature on the contract. We've, we've, we've entered into a contract, and we've both got to keep upkeep 
our side of the bargain. Now that goes for whether you're having your living room decorated, whether you're taking out a mobile phone contract or a mortgage. And if you, you are wanting to break the terms of any contract, generally there's a, there's a penalty to be uh, to get out of that. So for example, if I want to say my, my, my mobile phone uh, is through Sky, I have it linked to the, the Sky TV and all that kind of stuff. But if I wanted to get rid of my phone contract now, whilst I'm within it, there would be a penalty for me to buy out of that contract because I've said, now I'm going to be here for this amount of time. Now, I know that often, uh, and I mean, this comes down to a bit of a kind of chat on personal responsibility, but often as consumers, of which I, of course, am one, uh, we don't like this idea of, well, why should I have to pay to get out of this deal? Well, because that was the, the terms of the contract that were signed when you went into it. Now, this comes down to a kind of broader question, as I say, about personal responsibility and, and accepting that the kind of the circumstances that you find yourself in is, you know, banks, credit institutions, they are commercial entities. They are there to make a profit. We shouldn't forget that. And there's nothing wrong with making a profit. Um, but you've got to you've got to bear in mind that they have staff to pay, they have buildings to upkeep and all that kind of stuff. And they've got shareholders that they report to. Now, whether you like that or whether you don't, that's just the fact of the matter. And, you know, it, it's a case of these were the terms that you entered into it, and these are the terms that you were going to exit it by. And that was laid out for you at the start. You accepted that as part and parcel of it. And therefore, that's how it is. That you don't like it is kind of ir- irrelevant. And I know that seems a bit harsh, but I think we've got to get away from this. I think there's sometimes too much. Um, I think sometimes there's a bit too much talk of kind of unfairness because actually, uh, you know, th- this kind of stuff isn't hidden. Now, admittedly, Lots of people don't read terms and conditions. I know lots of people, when I present mortgage illustrations, don't read them thoroughly. I know that. I do try and present them and go through them as thoroughly as I, as I can. Um, and I always do, because that's the right and professional thing to do. And when the mortgage offer comes out, um, then, of course, they're, they're, they're presented with that information again. And, and as I say, you know, I will always try to make sure that I go through that, make sure that they understand it. But the issue is, is that, of course, over time, they, they probably forget that. That's that's fine. They, they, you know, why would you keep thinking about what's the what's the redemption penalty on my mortgage? That's not going to be the forefront of your mind. But when it comes to, for example, oh, there's going to be a penalty to do X, Y, and Z. There's this kind of weird vibe at the moment where it's well, that's unfair. But it, well, it wasn't unfair when you took out the deal, you know. Uh, and 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 that's something I think we need to to get over. To be honest. Fair enough. Um, fair and balanced. Um, what I would say, just to because we're we're about to finish, um, but just one quick point I want to make on that. Um, what would your advice be for somebody? Um, let's say because we, we, as we pointed out, it, it varies case by case. So, um, if we're using the mortgage as an example, and we've got different people that are all thinking, I might, I might finish my mortgage early. I might pay it off, but obviously, there's going to be different penalties for different providers. It depends on how much is left on the mortgage, how long is left on the mortgage as well, uh, and all these other factors. So would you? is that a service you'd be able to provide for people to say, I'm trying to work out financially whether I'm going to be better off paying the charge to terminate this mortgage early or whether I'm actually better off just paying it off as agreed in the in the, the, the overall course of, of the remainder of that mortgage. You, is that something you're able to provide or any, any suggestions or recommendations for people in that position? Yeah, sure. So, so for example, if someone comes to me and says, actually, you know, mortgage rates are really low and I'd like to remortgage because I want to take advantage of a, of a new deal, then 
part and parcel of our due diligence and our research is to is to make sure that we're when we're advising people on whether they should or shouldn't pay a penalty if it's going to be in their best interest or not we have to do the maths we have to be able to evidence that we have to be able to support that with documentation um so that is something we would do now ordinarily ordinarily in a, a lot of circumstances especially in the area that i work it tends not to be beneficial to pay the penalty because they tend to be in the area of thousands and you're you would need to be moving to a significantly lower deal um, in order to recoup that cost over, say, three to five years. So it tends not to be, but that's not to say that people shouldn't have a look at that if, if it's something they're considering. Um, but, you know, that's part and parcel of, of our job to actually work out if that's beneficial. You know, but perhaps when, you know, um, in the first episode where I said that we sometimes have to say, you know, you might want to do that, but that's not a good idea because we have to be doing what's in the customer's best interests. That's a perfect example of where someone says, I've seen that interest rates are X. I want to pay this penalty to get out of my deal. I do the maths and, and work it all out and go, actually, that's not beneficial. And they might say, yeah, but I still want to do it because I want this, this deal. And I say, well, I'm not going to do it because that's actually not saving you money, even though it feels, emotionally, it feels like it will do. Actually, over the, the period of time that we're talking, it won't. Lewis, thank you very, very much as always. We'll be back next week with another podcast uh, discussing another area of financial management and mortgages and all things money. Uh, Lewis, in the meantime, thank you very much again for all your help. No worries, mate. Lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. And you. Thank you. Take care.